Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Good morning, church. How are you this morning? Good. Welcome to our series entitled Selfless. Oops, almost dropped that. This is a three-week series about love. And uh, Armin started off uh, with a great start. Thank you, Armin, for last week as he talked about love being sacrificial and selfless. So we're going to spend these three weeks talking about love in the context of our relationship with God, also in the context of marriage and also sex. In fact, next week when we get on that topic of sex, uh, we want to just give you uh, kind of an advanced heads up. Uh, We'd like, uh, if you're a parent and you have children, that if the children are 12 years old and younger, to make sure that they're in the children's church next door. Um, And that'll help us uh, have the right audience for the topic. Amen. Sound good? Speaking of love, uh, our staff team, we like to do uh, a fun activity every week. And so we went to a movie this week. How many of you saw the movie, um, The Space Between Us? Not too many. Um, The Space Between Us is a science fiction movie. And it has a romantic story in in this science fiction uh, plot. And I noticed that that it was very clear to me that it was absent. There wasn't any reference whatsoever to the idea of marriage. Not even a hint. And I think that is, I think we're all aware that that's the standard menu from Hollywood. Oftentimes you'll hear uh, lots of story about romance, about love, but very little role modeling about marriage. And that's been a, a diet that an entire generation has grown up on. And as a result, there are some people, maybe many people, that don't think marriage is very important. And that's the situation that we find ourselves in today. So it's important that we take time to talk about marriage. What is marriage? Why marriage? This week coming up is Valentine's Day. And uh, this series uh, talks about uh, two of the greatest decisions that you will ever make. We're talking about love in the context of God and marriage And those are two of the greatest decisions that you can ever make in life. The number one decision is who will be your master? That will be the most significant decision you ever make. The second most important decision that a person can possibly make is who will be their mate. Your partner in life will affect you more than any other decision that you ever make. As we talk about selfless, I want to talk about uh, what are some reasons why we we need to talk about this area. And I'd like to put some up on the screen for you. Why talk about God, marriage, and sex? One, people are thirsty for love. And they will settle for a counterfeit even when they know satisfaction is temporary. Most of us tend to base our relationship with God on performance instead of his grace. We spend a lot of time looking at ourselves and looking at each other, but very little time looking at God. 
Instead of sex being the result of a covenant relationship, sex is more often a tool for my satisfaction. There's so much arguing because we're needy. We're not content. We're not satisfied. Most marriage problems are not marriage problems, but actually God problems. When we don't get satisfaction through God, yeah, when we don't find satisfaction in God, then we look for it in other places. Today's focus is about marriage. There are some false views about marriage. Uh, They sound great maybe as a headline, maybe to romanticize or idealize marriage. Things like, you know, your spouse will complete you. There's a perfect person out there who will satisfy your every need. That sounds great as a headline, but uh, two to seven to ten years into a relationship, it can result in a lot of relationship strain and pain because we become disillusioned. Now, why didn't he or she complete me? So today we want to talk about what does a godly marriage look like. With that in mind, let's take a moment to pray. Father, thank you that you're here. And God, I ask that your spirit would give us insight. Lord, impart knowledge and understanding in our minds and our hearts. And Father, help us to understand your way in this relationship called marriage. Father, help us to understand your way in this whole vast area of love and what that looks like in real life. And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach and that you would reveal. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When Terry and I first got married, we're going on 29 years now. When I first proposed, I have to tell you, I didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) I felt like I was jumping off a cliff into the great chasm of the unknown. (laughs) You see, I didn't grow up in a household of faith. And so I didn't have like a personal coach to show me what to do and what this should look like and what I would do. No, but thank God I began to experience a relationship with him before I got married And he was the one that guided and provided the things that we needed as we navigated life together. You know, we were, uh, to be honest, uh, just kind of making it up as we went along. I mean, who tells you about how to be a parent and how to deal with all the challenges and the complications and the questions that we have, you know, when we're a young family? Uh, It's not easy. Uh, Life can be a jungle out there. And especially in this area of marriage... Uh, My parents didn't stay together, and so, you know, I didn't have a picture there of what life would look like with a lifelong partner. And uh, interestingly, as I said earlier, I began to experience God, and he provided the things that we needed as we went. And one of the ways that he provided was, uh, back in the 90s, there used to be a lot of tourist weddings here on Guam. And a friend of mine was involved in these, and he said, do you want to uh, be a part of these tourist weddings that I'm doing? And I said, nah, I'm not interested. You know, my mind was uh, like a Vegas wedding, one of those. I was like, I don't want to be a part of that. 
Now, later I found out it turned out to be a very beautiful, very significant, uh, very deep and romantic experience for many of these couples that would come to Guam. But I didn't know that at the start. I just had this idea of something like a Vegas wedding. I said, I didn't want to be a part of that. But then he said, well, back in those days, there was a chapel at the PIC where they did weddings. And he said, well, you know, if you do weddings at the chapel at the PIC, you get to go to the water park free once a month. I said, really? I said, I'm in. (laughs) And that's how I got started. And, you know, eventually uh, there were just lots of weddings that we did. Uh, Believe it or not, one year in the 90s, I think on Guam alone, they did like 8,000 tourist weddings. And there was a large bubble in the population 40 years ago. And then 20 years ago, that bubble in the population was in the marrying age. Many of them were coming to Guam and Hawaii looking for this romantic, you know, wedding destination. But the takeaway for me was this. After doing so many of those ceremonies, I got to a place where I memorized it in my heart. And God began to speak to me through the covenant and through the vows and through the promises that are made in the wedding ceremony. And something that was absent in my mind that I didn't have a picture of just began to trickle in and go deep in my heart. And without going through an entire wedding ceremony, I just want to share one nugget that began to become a conviction inside me. And it's the idea that marriage is not a contract. Marriage is what we call a covenant. That's different from a contract. A contract is an agreement between two equals. A covenant, however, comes from a higher to a lesser. It can be accepted, it can be rejected, but it cannot be altered. And I began to see that marriage is a covenant between us and God. And it's a sacred covenant. In the very beginning, God said it's not good for man to be alone. And so he created a helper that was suitable for him. And so after God created the first woman, he then gave away the first bride. And the point is this. Marriage is God's idea. Marriage is God's idea. He's the one who created it. And then he didn't just leave us to try and figure out how it would work. He actually gave us very clear instructions about what marriage is and how it works. And how does it go from, not just Adam and Eve, but from generation to generation, how does it work? And so we find what God says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, if we can put that up on the screen. It says, as the scriptures say, and that's actually a reference to Genesis. Paul is actually quoting from Genesis. He says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Now, there are some translations that read it this way. A man will leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, and then the two shall become one. That's a very significant passage, and it's filled with meaning that can be unpacked. There is an entire process being described here in Scripture, the process of leaving and cleaving and becoming one. And And that's no small thing. I'll just give you an example from our lives. Uh, I had left home, gone to college, came back, got married. By the time Terry and I got married, I'd been independent for eight years, or so I thought. 
Um, we were living uh, under our own roof financially. We were independent, doing life. We had our first child. And we went to go visit my mom who lived in Washington. And she uh, wanted to go visit her parents one weekend. And uh, so I talked to Terry. Terry wasn't feeling well. She wasn't up to a road trip. She had a cold, nursing a, a new baby. And uh, she didn't want to take a long eight-hour drive. And so I said to my mom, well, you know, Terry's not feeling well. Can we go another weekend? And she said, well, the next weekend, her parents are going to be out of town. It's not going to work. This is the only weekend that we can go. I really want to go see my parents. And when push came to shove, I said, okay, well, I'll drive you. And so Terry, uh, we were staying in a hotel. Terry stayed back with Tara. Uh, we went to go visit my grandparents, came back after the weekend. And I tell you, she was so hurt because I had left her in a town where she knew nobody. She was sick with a baby all by herself. And I chose to go take my mom off to Montana. And I realized in that moment that I thought I was independent, but I still had emotional strings attached to my mom. I love my mom. My mom knows the Lord. We were very close. She's gone to be with him. God bless her. But I realized in that moment that uh, in the priorities between uh, my wife and my mom, my mom had a higher priority. And I had not really left my mom in my heart. I had not cut the apron strings. That's a, that's a term used, uh, you know, sometimes housewives would wear an apron and tie it around the back and little kids would pull on the strings going, mommy, mommy, mommy. You know, there's that picture of dependence between a child and a parent. And, you know, when you become an adult, uh, we need to separate that dependence and become independent. We need to individuate. And I realized I needed to do that. And so in that moment, I made a decision before the Lord and I said, God, um, from here on, um, I'm going to make uh, my wife a higher priority than my mom. Because scripture says a man will leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. And there are many households where the leaving has not taken place. And so it's very difficult on the spouse because you might have plans to go to the beach one weekend. And mom or dad call up and say, hey, I need your help with the barbecue. And all of a sudden, your family plans are out the window. And your spouse is going, what? I thought we had a weekend together. And see how that can undermine a marriage if that relationship is not the priority? But God says we need to leave mom and dad, cleave to our spouse so that we can become one. This next passage in verse 32, we'll read this. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. And so what Paul is describing here is that marriage is a picture of our relationship with God as a church. Marriage is the most simple illustration of that relationship. I'd like to just ask you to put your hands together like this. Make a little steeple with your hands. Or this is more like a home. And the two hands leaning together are husband and wife. And when people see that relationship, when they see the relationship that represents God's heart, where there's love, unconditional love, people look into that and they get attracted to that. You can put your hands down. But <laughs> we're all praying. <laughs> yeah, marriage requires a lot of prayer. But see, marriage is that first place to be a witness, to have that testimony of what that relationship with God looks like. 
And so marriage has this profound mystery that it represents our relationship with God. And so, as we all know, uh, that sounds good theoretically, but when the rubber meets the road, how do we live that out in everyday life? And Paul gives us some instruction here. We're going to look at verses 21, 22, and 25. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that's very important. I want to highlight that. Uh, Too often, you'll hear the focus being on the role of the wife or the husband, but this is referring to both husband and wife. It says, submit to one another. Keep that in mind as we talk about these other two verses. For wives, this means submit to your husband as to the Lord. And for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so I want to give you an example of what that looks like. How does that work? That's really the focus of today's message is what does a godly marriage look like? And so I want to show you an illustration. If we could go to the next slide. Here's him and her. And in every relationship, Terry and I have discovered through many, many counseling sessions that we're all unique people. We all have different perspectives, different ideas, different needs, values, priorities. And as a result, every person is incompatible with every other person. We can go to the next slide. I drew a little lightning bolt there just to represent the conflict that happens in relationship. It happens in the home, in the living room, in the bedroom, over the phone, over texting. If you've been married, you know that there's conflict. Oftentimes, the reason that happens is because we don't have a commonality that can unify us. So we could go to the next slide. You notice the two arrows. Oftentimes, a typical scenario in the family is uh, the wife may be focused on the kids. That's her priority. And for the husband, maybe he's focused on his career. His job is priority. And, you know, if you continue in those two different directions for any number of years, you're just going to grow further and further apart. What we need is a common point of reference that could draw us together. Next slide. And so that's where God comes into the picture. That's why it's important for us to have a relationship with God. He's the invisible third party in order to make marriage work. So we're talking about what does a godly marriage look like. And so when we have a relationship with God, we can go to the next slide. We have this dynamic. As we both look to God, as we both seek him, as we both become more like him and move toward him, what happens? Both husband and wife get closer and closer together. You notice the distance between the two gets shorter and shorter the closer you get to God. So let me give you a real life example. When Terry and I first got married, we actually went to six months of counseling before we got married. And the counselor brought up every possible topic you could think of. And oftentimes we'd go into the session fine. We were good with each other. And then he would bring up something. We're like, I didn't know you thought that. She's like, I didn't know you thought that. You know, and we'd end up driving away from the counselor arguing. (laughs) And I was like, is this helping? (laughs) It was getting worse. (laughs) Anyway, we got married and we thought we had covered most things. But there was one area we had not covered. When When our daughter was born... I grew up in a home where my mom was there when we were growing up, and Terry grew up in a home where her mom had a career. And so when we had our first child, her thought was she would go back to work because she'd been working for GDOE. She was a trainer with special ed, 
And she had a, a career of 10 years already. And when I first heard that, I was like, what? You're going to go back to work? And she's like, yeah, I'm going to go back to work. And in her mind, that was perfectly normal. That's what she grew up with. In my mind, I was like, no way. You need to stay home with our baby. And we started to argue. And then we started to bump heads. And it got really tough. And I realized the more I put on the pressure, the more she dug in her heels. Like, I am not budging. And I was like, man, this is getting bad. And so I realized that, you know, I'm only making the situation worse. And I decided just to resort to praying and say, God, this is a situation where you've got to speak. And so I didn't bring it up anymore. I just began to pray. And when Tara was seven months old, Terry was working, and she was dropping our baby off at her mom's place, which is a great place. And she could go home and nurse and, and in between breaks and work. It was actually a really a, a good arrangement. Um, but when, when Tara was seven months, she was driving along the road, listening to the radio, and James Dobson, Focus on the Family, had a guest speaker. And the guest speaker was a woman who was a psychologist. And she said, between the ages of seven and 12 months, your child is developing the capacity to be able to love. And the first person they fall in love with is you as their mother. And how well they develop in that window of 7 to 12 months, their capacity to love, will determine their ability to be able to love as an adult. And all of a sudden, she went, oh my gosh, what am I doing? And she quit her job, and she stayed home until the kids were old enough to go to school. Now, if I had tried to strong arm it and said, woman, you will stay home. <laughs> you know, I might have been able to accomplish it. I don't know, I doubt it. <laughs> But if I did, she would have been home bitter and angry and upset and maybe even taking it out on the kids. You know, it's because of you that I lost my career and now I got to be here and da, da 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 And that would have been a sour situation. But instead, when she went home, she went home willingly. And she was happy and there was peace in the home. And the relationship with our kids was sweet. And it became a blessing because we had this triangle dynamic going on where God is the invisible third party. You know, when God speaks, if we both agree to listen to what God says, that resolves any conflict, does it not? I encourage you to let that be your model for marriage because you will experience, you will avoid so much headache when you let God be the arbitrator. Having said that, I want to go on to talk about another revelation that God gives in this passage about what a godly marriage looks like. We'll go on to verses 23 and 24. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his, of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Now, I can almost hear your thoughts <laughs> and the feelings that rise when you read that passage. Because to be honest, if we're honest, uh, that's not, what we just read is not the way most of our households operate. You know, we kind of joke about it. Uh, you often hear that saying, uh, yeah, a man will say, I'm the head of the house, I'm the head, but the wife is the neck and she can turn the head any way she wants. <laughs> You know, we joke about that, but there's an element of truth in there. You know, we're alluding to something. 
Or another way we joke about it is, happy wife, happy life. <laughs> no, we're alluding to something in that. For many of us, it's the way we grew up. It's familiar. But regardless of our culture, God's kingdom has a culture of its own. And we are in the process of establishing God's kingdom among us. Amen? Let me help us by highlighting what this passage is not saying. This passage is not saying that men are higher in status. In Genesis, when God said he would make a helper suitable for Adam, that word helper is the same word that Jesus used when he said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper who will be with you always. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are all co-equal. But they have different functions. Husbands and wives are co-equal. But we have different functions. I'll give you an example. How many of you watched the Super Bowl? Raise your hand. Okay. All right. It was a great game. Man, if you ever want to get your wives interested in football, uh, don't talk to them about statistics. You just say, hey, you see that guy on the field, number 14? Yeah, he has four kids. Last week, his wife left him. She's like, oh, really? <laughs> We're going to show a clip of the Super Bowl. It was an amazing game. In the fourth quarter... Atlanta, Atlanta Falcons were ahead, I think it was like 20, 28 to 9, 28 to 9 in the fourth quarter. We're just going to watch a one-minute clip, and then I want to make a comment about it. Can we go ahead and roll that? On the sideline, incomplete. So they had a rally here in the fourth quarter. Third and 10, blitz off the corner, pass is caught by Hogan. Free someone up for a big play. Near sideline, Mitchell, what a half he's had. Here's Edelman broken up, and the pass is no sign yet. Edelman comes down with a football, and they're saying it's a catch. Alford knocked it up into the air, and let's see who comes down with it. That's a catch. Oh my God. That's incredible. That's amazing concentration by Julian Edelman to be able to make a play Atlanta on that. Is challenging the ruling on the field of a completed pass. We'll review the play. The ball was resting on the arm of Ricardo Allen, and Edelman able to re grab it before he hits the ground. I checked with Mike Pereira in our booth. He thinks it's a catch, and the play is being challenged by Atlanta. And it should have been an interception there by Robert Alford. And now this from... I got a question for you. Who had the tougher job, the guy who threw the ball or the guy who went up against three defenders and caught the ball? <laughs> Both are necessary to move the football down the field and to be able to win the game. In the same way, husbands and wives, you have different functions, but both of you, it's very important to be able to 
fulfill your role so that you can win as a family. Everybody knows that when Tom Brady gets in the huddle as the quarterback, that he's the captain. If he's a good leader, we'll listen to his players. And if, if Edelman says, hey, you know, the defensive end keeps taking my outside fake, so why don't you call a play where I go inside, you throw me the ball, you know, we, we score. You know, Brady would be foolish not to listen to what his players are saying on the field. But he needs to call a play according to what he understands from the players on the field. Men, in the same way, when you come home, you need to huddle with your wives. You need to listen to what they're saying is happening on the field, at school, at home, with homework, whatever it is. And then taking into account what you're hearing, then you need to make a decision and call a play. And then together, as you guys work that out, you can win. Amen? I want to talk about a prerequisite for a healthy marriage. It's important that both have a relationship with God. Without that relationship, you can't have the invisible third party being an arbitrator for the two of you. That's number one. Uh, the way Paul put it, he said, uh, you should not be unequally yoked. Uh, that phrase is an agricultural term we don't, we're not familiar with. But a yoke was kind of the harness that uh, you would put the animals in, the ox or the bulls, to pull a plow. And oftentimes you would have a double yoke where you could put two animals to pull the plow. And the idea was you would never put a large animal with a small animal because the small one would just walk in the shadow of the big one and the big one would do all the work. And so the idea is that you have to be equally yoked, get two of the same size so that you can share the load of pulling. And how many of you know there is a load in life, in family? I mean, you get up, you wash dishes, you're doing laundry, you're going through the morning rush trying to get shoes on their feet, lunch pails, get everybody off to school and to work and then come home and then do it all over again. <laughs> you don't want one person pulling the load. <laughs> Same thing spiritually. There is a load there that we have to carry uh, the family to cover them, to protect them, to provide for them. And we need to be equally yoked in that way. So this means more than just being a Christian. Um, this means that you should be of similar spiritual maturity. You don't want somebody who's, you know, been a Christian for 30 years and serving God, and then Mr. Handsome becomes a Christian last weekend. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, he's a Christian. So he I mean, that, that would not be equally yoked. You need two people of similar spiritual maturity. The second thing that's important, that's one prerequisite, to be equally yoked. The second one is, um, you, you have to discern who's going to be healthy in a lifelong relationship. And that's a little difficult, because when you're in the dating phase, people put on their best appearance. They put their best foot forward. They want to impress because they're trying to attract. That's just the natural dynamic that happens in dating. You don't really get to see the real self when you're in the dating phase of the relationship. People told Terry and I, when you get married, your relationship will change. And we said, oh, really? How's that? They go, I don't know. It just does. <laughs> you know, later we figured out it's this thing about the way you relate to people who are secondary the way, is different from the way you relate to people who are primary. Primary people are people that you're familiar with, you're comfortable with, you see them every day, you talk every day. And those are primary people. Secondary people is the cashier at Payless. And you don't really know their name if there wasn't a name tag. 
and you just say hi and bye. But what happens is when you get married, you move from secondary to primary. And now you begin to let down your hair. And you begin to let your natural, normal responses come out. And then you begin to see things that you didn't see in the dating relationship. So how do you know what it's going to be like after you get married? You don't. The only way you can tell what they're going to be like after you get married is to look at their existing primary relationships. And that relationship is their relationship with their parents. If they're the kind of person that respects and honors their mother and their father, which are their primary relationships at the moment, when you become primary after marriage, then they will respect and honor you. If they have attitude and talk bad about their parents, guess what's going to happen when you become primary? The same, the same dynamic will happen with you. So there's two things I encourage everybody to consider in choosing a spouse. Number one, make sure that they know the Lord and have equal spiritual maturity. But secondly, make sure they're a person that honors their mother and their father. So that when you get married, they will honor you. After that, after those two prerequisites, you can choose anything you want. Tall, dark, handsome, whatever. <laughs> you know, God allows you to put in your personal preference. But those two things are highly significant. At the heart of marriage is this thing called love. Paul said, now abide or now exist faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Love is a powerful bond between two people. God designed it this way to be the glue that holds marriage together. I want to share with you an illustration that will talk about why marriage is important. Last night, I cut out this heart. It's actually two hearts. Blue represents the guys, pink for the ladies. And I glued it together late last night. Now it's the morning after. You know what would happen if I try to separate this? Love is a powerful bond that's meant to hold relationships together. Did you know there's really only two relationships that are blessed by God to have this kind of bond? One is the relationship between a parent and a child. Love is meant to nurture us, to give us security, to make us feel welcomed, to feel like we belong, to satisfy that need in our heart to be loved. The other relationship that is blessed by God is marriage. God meant marriage to be the place where we can feel at rest. We can feel accepted. We can feel heard and approved where we can feel loved. Any other relationship outside of that, you're not to bond. If you do, it's called an ungodly bond. Uh, sometimes we use the phrase soul ties. There can be ungodly soul ties. Then there are godly soul ties in the parent and the child relationship and in marriage. But where there's an ungodly soul tie is when you have this bond that's outside of marriage. And it's not that God doesn't want us to have any fun. It's not that he's trying to rain on our party and tell us to cut it out. It's just that he knows what's best for us. And he loves us. And so he warns us and he tells us how to do life. You see, if you get into a relationship outside of marriage... 
and you haven't made this lifelong commitment before God, family, and friends until death do us part, I promise to protect you and cherish you and provide for you. If you don't have that kind of commitment, then where is this relationship going? One day, it's going to end. And that happens many, many, many times all over the world. Relationships end before people pass away. And you know what happens when that relationship ends? You know what happens when you separate? It's like taking this and trying to pull it apart. You know, when you separate, it's really like you have a broken heart. God doesn't want us to go through that kind of pain. And so he says, the only way that you're going to be blessed, the only way that you're going to be happy, the only way you're going to feel secure and have a relationship where you feel at home and at peace is when it's marriage. When it's that relationship that says, I will serve you and I will be with you until the day I die. And then you can be settled and be at peace and know that you're loved. I mentioned earlier that marriage is a covenant. It's a covenant between us and God. Interesting thing about covenant is that when a covenant is broken, the person who made the covenant pays the price. Jesus made a covenant with us, a covenant of grace. And because we break covenant with him, he has paid the ultimate price, the sacrifice. Earlier, Paul said that marriage is a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. It said, husbands, we should love our wives like that, giving ourselves up for her. And that's what Jesus did for us. Now, I was thinking about what would be a good illustration to talk about this kind of love that is selfless and sacrificial. And the best illustration I could think of was Jesus himself. Jesus demonstrated that kind of love where he gave himself up for us. And so what I'd like us to do is if we could take some time just to kind of get quiet. And if you would just take some time alone with God and just ask the Lord, you know, what is he saying to you? And I'd like us to prepare our hearts in order to receive communion while the ushers are going around and passing out the elements. And so ushers, if you would go ahead and do that now. While everybody else, if you want to close your eyes or bow your heads, just in the privacy of your heart and mind, I want to invite you to think about what is it that God is saying to you and how you might put that into practice.
While you're praying, I want you to take some time just to respond to whatever it is that you think God is highlighting in your mind, in your heart. I want to give you a chance to do some business with him. For some of us, this covenant between us and God is good news. It's a role model, an example for us to look to, to live out in our own lives. For others of us, this covenant that's represented in the wine and the bread is a covering for our own sin and things we've done that have been hurtful to ourselves or to others. I just want you to know God is here to heal. God is here to forgive. If you felt any kind of conviction from the message and felt bad about something, I want to invite you to take that to the Lord because that can be pain on its way out. Because God is here to to express his grace and his love for you. He cares for you. He cares so much that he gave himself up for you. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup when he had given thanks he said this cup represents the new covenant in my blood as often as you drink this do this in remembrance of me let's pray father we thank you for this amazing gift of your love And God, I thank you that you've designed life in a way that we can experience you, your love, and to be able to share that in relationship in family and in church family. Lord, I thank you that you cover all those things where we fall short, where we hurt or have hurt others. And Lord, for anybody who may be feeling that here today, I ask that you would just cover them in the waterfall of your love and that you would cleanse them and remove any sense of guilt. Father, I pray that we would be able to just receive your forgiveness. And while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I just want to address another group of people here today as we're talking about this covenant relationship with God. Maybe it's the first time you're hearing this. And you realize that there's been something missing in your life. And today you're here because you're recognizing that that something is God himself. And you came here not to just do a religious thing, but you're actually searching and you're seeking. And you're wanting to experience God, wanting a relationship with him. And if that describes you and you've never actually made a choice, a conscious decision 
to open up your life and invite him to be a part of it, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. We're just going to pray. God will hear your heart. You can hitchhike on my words. Well, let's pray together. Father God, I'm here today because I sense that you've been trying to get my attention. And so, Lord, today I'm making a decision to respond to you. I'm choosing to open up. God, I'm choosing to open my life to you. And I'm inviting you to come in and be a part of it, God. I ask that you would reveal yourself to me. Lord, I ask that you would give me a new start. Things haven't been going so well by myself, God, and I I want to find your way of being able to do life. And so I ask, Lord, that you would not just show yourself, but show me the way. God, I open up my heart to you. And I ask you to forgive me for the things that I've done. Lord, there are some things I'm not proud of that have been hurtful to me or to others. And God, I ask that you would wash it away, Lord, the bad, the ugly feelings. And I ask that you would forgive me. I thank you for Jesus and what he did on the cross. And I ask that you would allow me just to be cleansed from my guilt. And if you're praying this prayer right now, I just want to invite you to receive God's spirit into your heart. Just welcome him. His spirit of love is for you. His forgiveness is for you. And just receive it now. This is why Jesus died on the cross, so that you could experience his love. And Father, I thank you for what you're doing here in this room today. I thank you for those whose hearts you are touching. And God, I pray that you would seal them in your love and your power and protect them and allow them to experience their new identity in this relationship with you. And Lord, I pray that you would fulfill your destiny for them as they continue to grow in this relationship and get to know you and experience you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.